Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You do it because it's the right thing to do and you're supposed to do it. I think if no tipping were pervasive everywhere, Americans would get with the program pretty quickly. Welcome to the Best New Ideas in Money, a podcast for MarketWatch. I'm Stephanie Kelton. I'm an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University. And I'm Charles Passy, a reporter at MarketWatch. Each week, we explore innovations in economics, finance, technology, and policy that rethink the way we live, work, spend, save, and invest. Today, we're starting with some Christmas music. Oh, okay. The holidays are coming, and you know what that means. It means it's time to pay up. Tis the season for tipping. Babysitters, supers, doormen, you name it. Ah, yes. Maybe a little bit extra for your restaurant server or the delivery person. It is the holidays. Tipping is such a confounding topic, at least in the United States. You do it because you have to, but you actually don't have to. Take restaurants. It's not like there's any legal sanction against diners who don't leave a tip, and neither server or restaurant can sue you. But it's a social norm, a matter of etiquette. Totally. And then again, it's so much more than etiquette. Tipping is a massive component of our economy. There are no formal, official estimates of tipping. That's Michael Lynn. He's a professor at the Cornell Hotel School and he's studied tipping for over 30 years. What we can do is take full-service restaurant sales in the U.S. and assume that people are tipping 17% of that. And when you do that, you get about $45 billion a year is being tipped in the United States. Obviously, tipping outside of restaurants and tipping in other countries makes the whole phenomenon much bigger than even that $45 billion. But it's a pretty substantial economic uh, phenomenon. Now, tipping is an old practice in this country, believed to date back to around the late 1800s. That's when the custom was brought over to the United States from Europe. Ironically, tipping has mostly since gone away in Europe. But in the U.S., it's woven into the fabric of our economy and is almost an institutionalized practice. Right, we've created tax laws around it, not to mention wage and labor laws. You know, Stephanie, I have to wonder, do Americans just love to tip? I don't think they love to tip. That's Danny Meyer. You do it because it's the right thing to do, and you're supposed to do it. I think if no tipping were pervasive everywhere, Americans would get with the program pretty quickly. Meyer is a pretty famous New York City restaurateur. He's the founder and executive chairman of the Union Square Hospitality Group which is behind well-known names like Union Square Cafe, Gramercy Tavern, and The Modern. He's also the founder of the popular fast-casual restaurant Shake Shack, which became a public company in 2015. So it's safe to say Meyer knows the restaurant industry, and if it was up to him, there would be no tipping. In fact, he even tried to make it so. 
restaurateur and Union Square Hospitality Group CEO Danny Meyer taking a stand on wages. In an effort to pay his workers more, he is eliminating tipping from restaurants. He joins us now to talk more about it. Dagan McDowell also joining the conversation. In 2015, Meyer made headlines with his announcement that he was going to eliminate tipping at his restaurants. The restaurants wouldn't prevent diners from slipping servers a cash tip, but they would try to graciously dissuade them. Instead of a line for a gratuity, the check would simply say, hospitality included. Around the same time, other well-known New York restaurants declared that they were also embracing a no-tipping policy. The year prior, several San Francisco Bay Area restaurants had done the same. People started talking about a no-tipping movement. Would it be the end of tipping at restaurants? The argument that waiters and customers will be happier if all tips are zero seems to be gaining some steam. It may sound fishy, but tipping is now off the menu at New York's Sushi Yasuda. No tipping movement. Yeah. Is that going to take off, do you think? I think it's definitely going to take off. Uh, it has to. In fact, in 2016, a restaurant trade survey from American Express showed that 18% of surveyed restaurant professionals said they had adopted a no-tip model. That's according to CNBC. Almost a third, 29%, said they planned to adopt a no-tip policy, and 17% said they might jump on the trend too if other competitors followed suit. Now, it's important to point out that that survey was small, a sample of 503 U.S. establishments. On the social media site Reddit, contributors compiled a list of restaurants that had scrapped tipping at one point or another. It had more than 200 restaurants listed, and the food website Eater described it as one of the more complete records of no-tipping establishments at the time. So, back to Danny Meyer. Why did he decide to launch Hospitality Included? What really made us make the choice to eliminate tipping was that we couldn't overcome some of the unintended consequences of tipping in the restaurant industry. And I'd say in order, the biggest one was that with each passing year, the disparity between what a tip-eligible employee could make and what a tip-ineligible employee could make was growing. Now, what does that mean? Well, tips are not able to be shared between dining room workers and kitchen workers. And so every time you raise menu prices, and I think we've all seen that happen year after year after year, tipped employees can make more money, which is a good thing. But non-tip eligible employees, namely cooks and anyone in New York State who doesn't spend 80% of their time in a guest-facing position, you are legally not permitted to accept tips. So we decided since we can't share tips, we're going to just stop tipping. And we decided, let's put everything we want to do right into the menu price. Meyer has a lot of grievances with the tipping system, but the biggest is the disparity between the front of the house, that's industry talk for people like waiters and bartenders, and the back of the house, like cooks and dishwashers. Can you imagine a situation where you're a football coach and it's halftime and your team is down and you've got this dynamic where the offense is making a heck of a lot more money than the defense and the defense never gets raises, but the offense gets paid more based on how full the stadium is. It's going to be a tough dynamic during halftime to get the defense motivated. In many states, front and back of the house are actually allowed to share tips as long as employees are paid at least a full minimum wage for all hours worked. 
That's because of changes to federal labor regulations in recent years. But in some states, including New York, the rules are different, and the back and front of the House can't pull tips. Let's just talk for one second about how ludicrous that is. Right now, we're, we're on the cusp of truffle season in New York, and there's a lot of restaurants that proudly serve white truffles to you. So now the chef shaves truffles on top, and you get a bill, you know, like most good New York diners, you're going to pay 20% on your entire bill. You're not going to you know, subtract the truffles from that. You knew that going in. And now the server makes a whole lot more money because of the truffles, and the cook who shaved the truffles doesn't make a penny more in most restaurants. I just don't think that's right. Now, this is a complicated issue with a lot of varieties in rules and customs across states and cities. And to be clear, not everyone agrees that tips should be pooled. Yeah, that's right. Opponents argue that it's the restaurant's job to take care of the back of the house and not the responsibility of the server. You know, they worry that employers might funnel tips from servers to compensate cooks rather than giving cooks raises. And zooming out, it's all part of another heated debate. It's about something called the tip credit. In most states, employers can legally choose to pay workers who receive tips what's called a subminimum wage. That can be as low as $2.13 an hour, as long as tips bring their earnings to the equivalent of the minimum wage in a pay period. According to the New York Times, economists estimate that at least 5.5 million workers are paid on that basis. Critics of the subminimum wage system say that employers often fail to make up the difference between the minimum wage and the tips received on top of the subminimum wage. That's the claim of a report from 2021 from a national advocacy group called One Fair Wage. They work to end subminimum wages. The report showed that 35% of tipped employees experienced wage theft in the period spanning August to September 2021. And the tip credit is being fought in several places at the moment. In Washington, D.C., the issue was on the November ballot, and voters said yes to phasing it out. It was also on the ballot in Portland, Maine, where voters decided to keep the tip credit. In Danny Meyer's view, eliminating tipping would change a lot of the dynamics in restaurants, for the better. For one, servers' pay wouldn't fluctuate depending on how busy their shift was. You could still pay the bills, even if it had been a slow few weeks. And Meyer took it further than wages. He also sought to improve the overall benefits, adding in six weeks of paid parental leave for both moms and dads. Oh, and we decided to do one more thing. Let's raise the compensation for a first-time manager because one of the problems with tipping is that most tipped workers make more money than their boss. That's not a good pathway to advancing your career. So let's increase the wage of our first-time managers so that a tipped waiter could have something to grow to. That's another dynamic that Meyer says eliminating tipping would change, how servers advance their careers. You get a merit raise just like every other professional, just like our cooks do. Our cooks get merit raises based on progressing. You know, you may start off opening oysters, and then you get to make the salad, and then you get to make the pasta, and then you get to grill the meat, and then you get to make the fish, right? Then you get to be sous chef, chef. We don't have that kind of a system in the dining rooms. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, tipping isn't totally without value. Doesn't it make for better service? No, not really, says Meyer. It's a fallacy to think that the tip actually gets you a different kind of service. I would wager that 
the average person doesn't change their tip one bit. If you're a 20% tipper, you're a 20% tipper. You don't go, oh, that was a 19. Oh no, honey, that was actually a, a 21. That's on the money, according to Michael Lynn, the Cornell professor and tipping expert we heard from earlier. For the most part, tipping doesn't help you get better service. If you ask consumers, what's the main reason you tip? The most common response is I tip to reward good service. But in fact, I've stood outside of restaurants and had students stand outside of restaurants interviewing customers as they leave and asking them to rate the quality of service, tell me how much their bill and tip was. What I find is that tips do go up with customers' ratings of service, but not by much. On average, customers' ratings of service explain about 2% of the variance or differences in the tips left by different dining parties. 2%. It's statistically reliable, but it's pretty small. So people may say they tip for good service, but actually they don't. Why do we tip then? The short answer is because we're expected to. The biggest factor is social expectations. And in restaurants, the social expectation is that you're going to tip somewhere in the range of 15 to 20 percent. Actually, today, it's probably closer 15 to 25 percent. So if I'm roughly summarizing here, Meyer got rid of tipping in an attempt to level out the disparity between front and back of the house and give staffers a steady income. But today, when you get the bill at one of Meyer's restaurants, it no longer says hospitality included. So at the end of the day, after six years of trying this, during COVID, we took a step back. Coming up, why did Meyer decide to roll back his no-tipping policy? And what does he think might be the next best solution? That's after the break. Technology can make the world better. At UST, we're building a future where people everywhere are empowered to live better lives. It's transformation you can feel. And you don't have to do it alone. We believe in the power of technology to transform businesses and build a better world. Welcome back to the Best New Ideas in Money. Before the break, we talked about why New York restaurateur Danny Meyer eliminated tipping across many of his restaurants in 2015. Why? Meyer wanted all employees, back and front of the house, to be fairly compensated. And he wanted servers to have steady pay, pay that also included benefits. So why did he make the decision in 2020 to scrap the no-tipping initiative? Meyer says, in short, he just couldn't make the math work. Let's say chicken in an expensive New York restaurant is $30 for an entree. You know that that two hours later, you're going to take six more dollars out of your pocket, 20%, and it's going to be $36. But when you see $36 for chicken on the menu, you kind of go, that seems expensive to me. Well, we decided that the $30, which includes the cost of the chicken and the, all the ingredients, the plateware, the tablecloth, flowers, rent, insurance, cooking, you know, all the all the cooks' salaries. It, it includes everything except the compensation for the person who brought it to you. We decided, wouldn't it be even better for everybody if we were able to charge $36 right off the bat and be able to 
distribute money to the cooks as well. And then we said, obviously, that math doesn't work because if you want to keep your waiters whole, because they didn't do anything wrong, you're going to have to charge more than $36. The menu price of a chicken isn't just about the chicken. And remember, Meyer also wanted to incorporate parental leave benefits and higher compensation for first-time managers. So by the time we did all these things, that $30 chicken truly needed to be about $42 on the menu. And of course, we weren't going to charge $42 because it's a competitive landscape. You're, you're looking through you know, all your favorite restaurants on the web and, and you, you don't know what hospitality included means. And all you see is, hey, that place has really expensive chicken, $42. That does sound really expensive, even in New York City. Right. And even if Meyer had kept to only adding in the tip of 15 to 20 percent, it probably still would have been difficult. Here's Michael Lynn from the Cornell Hotel School. I've done research showing that when customers judge the expensiveness of a restaurant, they focus on menu prices and really don't take into account tipping. People focus on the menu prices and they say the restaurant with no tipping is more expensive, even though it's not. Yeah, because we're lazy and we don't like math. That's something that makes it very tricky to eliminate tipping, especially if only some restaurants do it. Those places end up seeming too expensive. So it, it was really tough. It would have been helpful if, if other restaurants had joined in. A few tried, but it, it just never became pervasive. It's kind of, in, a, in a weird way, it's kind of like inflation has done so much to create a need to raise menu prices that everybody did it. But there was never a need to eliminate tipping, and so everybody did not do it. One more thing, COVID-19. The pandemic hit cities hard, and especially New York City, where almost 80,000 people have died. The pandemic also had enormous implications for the city's restaurants, which shut down for months. Many closed. The very, very early days of COVID, when New York was finally able to eat in a restaurant, or I should say out on the sidewalk of a restaurant, which was about three or four months after the pandemic started, we didn't have a vaccine. And the very few restaurants that were serving on the street side at that point, those were brave servers going outside, serving people who obviously weren't wearing masks because you can't eat your food and drink your wine with a mask on. And it just seemed inhumane for us to tell our waiters who were putting their lives on the line, literally. Those early days were dangerous in New York. It, it felt inhumane to say you may not accept someone's gratitude and furthermore, you must tell our guests that you're not allowed to say thank you to me. According to the websites Eater and Grub Street, many, if not most, of the other restaurants that had embraced no tipping also went back to business as usual. But at Danny Meyer's restaurants, everything wasn't exactly the same. Because pooling tips between front and back of house still wasn't an option, Meyer decided the restaurant group would share a percentage of revenue with the cooks. So that on a very busy lunch or dinner service, the cooks would also benefit from that because we didn't want to erode the gains we had made in terms of this disparity. Another big reason why no tipping proved difficult, a lot of servers, those actually receiving the tips and then not receiving them, were against it. There was definitely pushback because I think the cooks obviously only won. They were making about 20 or 30 percent more money. However, we couldn't make the math work, and there's no question that Doing all the things we were doing and not raising menu prices to the point we should have meant that 
some of the servers actually were making a little bit less money afterwards. And that was never the goal. The goal was that the servers would make as much money, cooks would make more money, first time managers would make more money. But if we charged enough money to cover all the things we wanted to do, we would have lost a lot of our guests. We charged just the right amount of money to keep our guests. We could never do quite enough for all of our staff. According to Eater, in 2018, Danny Meyer said that a significant portion of legacy front-of-the-house staff, 30 to 40 percent, had left restaurants that had rolled out the no-tipping policy. And the pushback has gone beyond the staff at Danny Meyer's restaurants. As we mentioned earlier, when Portland, Maine, a very restaurant-centric city, had the initiative to remove the tip credit on the ballot, it was defeated. Why? in part because of resistance from both restaurant owners and staff. Here's Michael Lynn. The reason I waited tables when I was a student is because I made more than any other job I was qualified to fill. Servers are paid less than the standard minimum wage in most, in like 42 states of the 50 states in the United States. But they more than make up for that in tips. Studies that I've seen show that servers make almost twice as much as non-servers, you know, cook or hostesses in restaurants. So how much do servers make, including tips? According to Eater, in 2015, which was when Myers scrapped tipping, New York City waiters at full-service restaurants had annual incomes of 40000 or more on average. The food website said some of the city's top servers easily took home 100000 a mid-level cook, on the other hand, was unlikely to make much more than 35000 a year, even in a high-end kitchen. And, according to Grub Street, one Union Square Cafe front-of-house employee said her annual pay dropped from 60000 per year to 50000 after tips were eliminated. Now, that was all before New York City raised minimum wages in 2020. For restaurant servers, the legal subminimum is now $10, which must come to at least 15 after tips. But tipping is a complex issue for several reasons. Lynn says that several studies also show that tipping is a biased practice, meaning some people might receive fewer tips than others. What the data suggests is that black servers get lower tips than white servers. Attractive waitresses get better tips than their counterparts. Blonde waitresses get better tips than brunette waitresses. All of the things that influence our perceptions of other people and liking for them also impact tipping. And some of those are things that don't seem fair. Danny Meyer has given up on the idea that tipping will go away. He says it's just too embedded in the economy of the restaurant industry. I think that tipping is, and always has been, a subsidy for the business that accepts tips. If I pay all the money, including what you would have tipped, then my my price has to go up. And I want to stay competitive, so I don't want my price to go up that high. It's a game been going on forever. And it gives me the chance to make it seem like my prices are actually somewhat lower than they are, because you and I both know that you're going to go into your pocket and take a few extra bucks out to subsidize that person's compensation. Whether the tipping system works and who it works for certainly depends on who you ask. Stephanie, I think there are servers in not-so-busy restaurants who would have a better and more steady income if they didn't depend on tips, right? Right, but I don't blame servers in a busy restaurant who prefer getting tips over working for the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. I mean, 
that's a number that hasn't increased in 13 years. Okay, but I've covered the restaurant business for years, and it's no secret that many restaurants run on the smallest of profit margins. So I can understand why some owners don't want to raise prices and risk becoming less competitive. Yeah, so anyway, there's no easy fix. Here's Danny Meyer. If I could wave a magic wand, we would pay everyone in the restaurant the way we pay everyone in the restaurant except for waiters and bartenders, which is, here's your compensation. I want this to be a career of choice. I love hospitality. I love being in a business where we can actually make people feel a little bit better when they leave than however they felt when they came in. I think that's a great thing, and I think we can use more of that. But it doesn't work if the people who work in the industry don't feel cared for, respected, don't feel like they have a pathway for growth. Thanks for listening to the best new ideas in money. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating or review. And if you have ideas for future episodes, drop us a line at bestnewideasinmoney at marketwatch.com. Thanks to Danny Meyer and Michael Lynn. I'm Stephanie Kelton. And I'm Charles Passy. The Best New Ideas in Money is a podcast from MarketWatch. The producers are Michael McDowell, Katie Ferguson, and Meta Lutzhoft. Veronica Simonetti mixed this episode. Melissa Haggerty is the executive producer. Stephen Kutz was our newsroom editor on this episode. The Best New Ideas in Money theme was composed by Sam Retzer. Stephanie Kelton is an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University and not part of the MarketWatch newsroom. We'll be back next week with another new idea.